Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. I still, yeah, I still, like, this is one of the ones that it made sense when I drew it, and now it doesn't make sense to me anymore. <laughs> like, why is it, why does it have a body that makes sense and its head? I make these, I often make these to try to figure out something that, that I'm dealing with in my head that is, looks kind of like that head that's just a tangle and somehow in drawing them they all come together and it's very unlike the other work that I do which starts as nothing like there's no need for it and I'm like well I'm a comics artist or a cartoonist so I'd better make something even though there's nothing I want to make and then I just sit and scribble until something comes out but these the idea is there and then it, the idea is eating away at the inside of my head, and then I draw it, and it stops eating away at my head, which is a really satisfying way to work. The two people who get it, A, you, B, a guy you only know through the internet. <laughs> I still feel that I have a lot of friends who I don't know in person, but it's so much nicer when you're not dating them. <laughs> Waiting patiently for my meek prince and somewhere he is waiting patiently for me. <laughs> Being single but open, you're um, hanging on a fishing line as bait. Now I just wait. <laughs> These alarms do not misfire. This, I don't know, I just, I drew this to remind myself that after a date, if you're feeling like burned alive by panic, that, that, doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, but the one thing it doesn't mean, at least luck, lucky for me in my case, it does not mean that I'm insane. Um, it means something, and it's up to me to decipher what it means. Don't worry about my body language. <laughs> I don't mean anything by it. Um, one, a man is, I'm on a date with a man, and he's saying, me, 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 me and then he stops talking for whatever reason, and then I, he disappears, and then I take that to mean that he doesn't love me anymore because he's not talking nonstop about himself to me anymore. <laughs> this one, I, I've just given up on explaining this one. This one somehow makes sense to me. Um, part one is, let's say, before you've met someone on an internet date, you're obsessively asking yourself, do I like do I like him? Do I like him enough to meet him? I'm going to be putting myself in a really vulnerable situation. Is he worth it? Part two, let's say you've been on a date or two. Do you like me? Um, and then you progress to part three, which is do you really? And that lasts forever. <laughs> the ultimatum, it's me or your confidence. This was this was said to me verbatim. <laughs> you can't be 5'5", five five, I'm 5'5", five five. which is true because anyone who says that to you is 5'3", which is <laughs> fine, it's fine. Impossibly handsome, 
possibly handsome? <laughs> Which is better? Maturity. Save me, someone. Save me. Oh, my God. Oh, no, wait. That's right. No one can save me. <coughs> there is nothing I want more than to spend the evening with you, except the one thing I'm going to do instead. <laughs> That's how language works. The five languages, speak of the devil, the five languages of what you can convince yourself is love. One, texting you. Two, sending a link. Three, telling you he likes dogs. Four, belonging to the same religion as you. Five, having sad eyes. <laughs> if you don't want to see me again, please say so. No, no, I insist on ghosting you. Engagement, engagement party, bachelorette party, bridal shower, wedding, honeymoon, pregnant, baby shower, baby, the end. <laughs> Sorry, Andrea. I have a friend here who's a dating and parenting podcaster. <laughs> um, what are you into sexually? Oh, this also verbatim <laughs> was said. Emotions? No, sexually. <laughs> Portraits of his ex. First, a person. Then, a beautiful siren with whom you can never compete. Then, someone who used to date someone you used to date. I love your haircut, asterisk. I will learn to love your haircut. <laughs> Liars. I love you. I love you, too. I love you means I want to sleep with someone. I love you too means I want someone to love me. Someone, the one. It's like double vision. Um, someone you're dating could be either of those two things and it's not like the truth is hidden in them. It's like, it's totally random. It's, it's a throw of the dice. Uh, I don't like this one anymore. A skeptic's guide to Tinder. If he looks kind, he might be very, very boring. If he looks smart, he might be pretentious. If he looks sensitive, he might be unhinged. If he looks sweetly nerdy, he might be a pickup artist. If he looks interesting, he might be immature. If he looks hot, he might be suburban. <laughs> I don't like it because it takes a lot of explaining and it's very, in my um, experience, it doesn't apply to real life, like someone who looks interesting in real life isn't necessarily immature, but I think it has to do with the way people want to present themselves in photos says a lot about what their flaws are. And the, I, got, I got a really angry email from a suburbanite about this <laughs> one. <laughs> if you don't text within a few days of our first date, then you're not then A, you're not interested in me, in which case you're too cold, in which case I don't let myself text you. B, you've been busy with other people and or things, in which case you're too cavalier, in which case I don't let myself text you, or C, you want me to text first, in which case you're too passive, in which case I don't let myself text you. But then I text you. <laughs> I'm going to skip this one. This one is for both. Um, me, 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 plus me, me, me equals us, us, us. I think, yeah, this, is, this goes in the pregnancy baby one where it's about other people. Did I really want to catch this? I fit. I fit in your world. Wait, 
is a good place to end. Uh, okay, the more generous you are, the more generous I am. The more generous I am, the less generous you are. The less generous you are, the less generous I am. The less generous I am, the more generous you are. It's just, I just wrote this down to remind myself how my boyfriend works, and he's super generous. I just need to remember that if I'm like constantly making him food, he won't be making me food, which is a specific, <laughs> and I, I so much prefer when he makes me food. I prefer to be the one made food for, and in if he were exactly me, then both of us would be making food for each other because we would both operate in that way. But I think he operates more on a need-to-make-food basis. <laughs> so I've, lear I've learned. I wrote it down. I learned it. And it's great. And he's not here. If he were, then it wouldn't be working anymore. <laughs> he doesn't know it's about him. Good job. Um, you guys are following Liana on Instagram, right? Everybody? Okay. Does anybody wonder, as much as I wonder, like what it what it physically is looking like when you when you create these things? Where are where are you? What do you use? What does it look like if we were to stumble across you doing this? I am usually doing something else. I never sit down just to do these. Um, I walk around. Notice I wouldn't be parted with my bag. The paper's in it. The paper travels in this. It's a hollow shell. It's full of printer paper. Uh, I actually buy a new Bristol board pad whenever the old one gets too ripped up just to put my printer paper in it because um, sometimes I do use fancy paper, but I don't use eight and a half by 11 fancy paper. I use smaller paper and the printer paper doesn't fit in that cheap. I also use um, a Muji point, .38 pen and I draw the things kind of, I, I'm a very neat person and I grew up in a, um, what's it called? A mid-century modernist type of home with no walls and it just the sparsity, and I love it. Like I love it. I don't. I don't. I don't regret not having lived with cushy sofas and stuff. But as an art, and I'm neat, a really neat person. But as an artist, I love mess. So I like. I don't feel comfortable until the whole page has lots of things on it, and I feel like I'm just kind of sneaking something into the margins. I think I start. I think all of my. Um, coming of age was as a doodler inside homework, and I think that's where it comes from. So I'll often do the drawings in the margins of my comics, and I feel much more um, comfortable doing these little drawings than the actual comics. <laughs> and sometimes I'll just fill a whole page with these drawings and a lot of mess ups and then some good ones, and I'll cross things out if I don't like them. I'll circle them if I do. It seems like a... Um related but different visual vocabulary than you use in The New Yorker. Like, I recognize that it's your style, but I can tell that you're sort of using a different part of your brain. Does it feel that way? I'm drawing smaller. I, I feel much more comfortable drawing small in The New Yorker. When, the more professional I, like, the more you're paying me, the bigger I will draw, <laughs> because I think that's what you want if you're paying me a lot. I, 
it's just because professionals draw big. Yeah. And I don't relate as a professional, but I fake it like everyone else does. Um, but when I'm not being a professional, I draw like this big and then I photograph. There's something about photographing it rather than scanning it that makes it, which I didn't do for the book, but I do for the actual Instagrams that makes it just feel like, I, I don't like cozy things, as I said, but like if cozy were good, it would be cozy. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think the effect that it has on the book is that it, it makes the book messy in a way that you want, I think. I, I, I was astonished by how, how personal and intimate some of these things are. I mean, I was, and I, I don't know if this is a spoilable book, but I'm gonna go ahead and spoil the end of it, um, which oh, is... right. May I? Please. Um, I'm waiting for the S to hit the F in this case. <laughs> this is a, essentially a, a like a br breakup uh, monologue, yes. a, a breakup memoir. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's uh, it's breathtaking. Thank I, you. I won't like, you know, uh, uh, pimp you into performing it here, but like I I was. Uh, uh, I was so moved by it, and it and it really does feel like something that. Um, is is it's like that photograph of the piece of paper. It really feels like something that was like, it, it couldn't help but be spilled onto the page. Thank you. Yeah, that one, um, I didn't post that one on Instagram and I wouldn't have. That one's about an actual person who actually is super private, which is actually why we broke up, I think. Um, but we had broken up and, and I took that out of a diary that I wrote in grief. I don't keep journals except when I'm grieving um, or whatever it's called in a breakup also. Um, so I filled a small journal with that. It was called What I Miss and it was just a list about of what I'll miss about him that I'll never have with someone else or, or, or with, yeah. Um, and I added it to the book at the very last minute. I had published it in I forget what venue, I think Catapult, and I just kind of probably like very sel like selfishly decided that he wouldn't read it on there, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure he reads a lot, so I'm sure he did. But um, yeah, I thought somehow that would protect it from him ever having to see it, because I didn't want him to see it, even though it's very ki it's kind, but that wasn't the problem. It was, it was an overshare that was the problem. <laughs> Um, and then I added it to the book in a kind of F you private person, I'm not dating you anymore gesture. And right. It's fine. I don't feel that bad. I'll um, feel bad if I get shot. <laughs> okay. Uh, so would I. Thank you. You're, so you're welcome. Much. Um, it's, a, it's a hell of a way to end the book. Um, and I, I, the, the collections of different cartoons grouped by different themes into the chapters here seems very uh, carefully considered. Mm -hmm. Not just the ending, but I mean, y you have a time and space chapter and uh, and love and dating is actually just like the tip of the iceberg. I feel like there's a lot of other relationship content in here. W what went into the decisions to, to put this in the order that it's in? Oh, what, there's a dog here. <laughs> it started, um, <laughs> Hi, Fido. It started with my editor, Andy Ward, at Random House, who is a famously hands-on, smart, and modest editor, um, <laughs> which is a funny thing to be famous for, <laughs> modesty. But um, he, yeah, he, I, I, 
I haven't worked with enough editors to back up this claim, but I want to say that it's rare in the book editing world to like print out someone's manuscript and red pen all over it like several times, and that's what he does. And he came up with the idea of putting the book into chapters rather than um, chronological, which was the only way I could have seen doing it at first. I think it would have been repetitive and exhausting the way it is to be inside my brain if it were chronological, just like like worry about thing A, thing B, thing C, thing A, thing B, thing C over and over again, and now it's like nicely organized. Um, and I think he came up with some of the chapters and I came up with some of the chapters and I came up with the organization within the chapters. Um, the relationship one starts out with early relationship and ends with breakup and goes through kind of that trajectory. And I think time and space was organized by like time and then space or something. <laughs> <laughs> and there's another chapter called China's Strangeness Sadness in which I grouped together moods with feeling neurologically a teeny tiny bit different, which is a very hard thing to talk about because mm -hmm. they're, um, you don't want to bunch yourself with everyone else. Everyone has such a different experience. And to talk about one's own experiences to belittle someone else's experience, it's, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought that it was, uh, uh, you, you did a very good job, you and your editor did a very good job uh, surprising me, surprising the reader. I just, it was a brilliant, brilliant move to come out of a necessarily heavy chapter on politics and go right into a chapter on animals. Oh yeah, I know, I still feel a little, I feel like the animals chapter doesn't quite belong in the book, but I'm glad it's there. You're wrong. Thank you. <laughs> the animals chapter was the first chapter I made and it was mostly rejected New Yorker cartoons. <laughs> so it's a, it's more, there's more of a stepped back feeling. It's less personal. Yeah. Not that I'm not an animal. Right. Literally. Yes. Uh, I have more questions about that, but uh, no, you, I have more questions. We all are. What? No, yes. I have more questions about well, maybe the... Maybe you're a computer. I think maybe. So, I'm something. <laughs> I don't know. I'm my own kind of special. But uh, I, this, t the, the transition into the animal section I thought was particularly... Uh, I just, I'm oh, literally, yeah. I'm looking at a dog Dogs and I'm looking first. at your brilliant cartoon of a dog that like, I was so, I was so tense from reading the chapter about politics and yeah. America. Yeah, I made that, that all right, right before and right after the election. Oh yeah, and the there is election. a there is an obvious divider between the two. It's literally it's in black and white. Yeah. You can you can trace it to the day. Um, but then to have sort of gritted my teeth to get through it and and try not to like to to remember without reliving, um, and then come to this. I'll show everyone else in a second. This was th this was not fair of you. This was a sucker punch. Oh, the dying one or the bingo one? The one about the dead dog. Oh. This is this is uh, uh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> this this was where I thought uh you know the the curation of the art became an art itself because uh, coming out of a, a section that makes you want to cry. We wound up on a cartoon that actually, it's, uh, this, is this you? Yeah. Well, okay, funnily enough, I, oh, I always want to say this in a talk, and I always forget. The me character, I do have, like, an, what's it called? A, 
avatar for me, and she doesn't look like me. She looks more blonde, let's say, <laughs> and in this book she has pink hair, but in the Instagram she just has unfilled in hair, and it's kind of long, and I know I have long hair now, but historically I have a buzz cut. <laughs> I've been dating someone who likes a femi look. Um, <laughs> but anyway, she's based on my second dog, Sophie. She is not based on me. The, Sophie had long blonde ears. The character, your avatar is based on your dog. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, well, you say to your dog, I really, sh I really shouldn't have let you die. And panel two is the dog in outline, a ghostly silhouette saying, you are still my friend. Oh. <laughs> and I, that was the moment where I was like, well, okay, I'm going to, I need like five, ten minutes. <laughs> Um, you mentioned a, min a minute ago the the difference between um, the personal nature of the stuff that that is I don't know more more doodly more stuck into the margins and, and maybe in a sense more organic than what you do for the New Yorker, which is more gag oriented. Yeah. I mean, do you find yourself switching gears very constantly or or very um, intentionally? I guess I mean. No. Well, I think these come pretty naturally. I don't want to say that this is my main mode because it's definitely my narrowest mode, but it's also like a narrow garden hose. There's more pressure and it comes out more easily. The New Yorker is a slightly wider playing field and it, and there's more confusion involved about what you want to say and who you're speaking to. Also, I think I'm speaking to a more concentrated audience on Instagram, mostly younger women like slightly younger than me women I know because I look at the stats <laughs> um and the New Yorker audience is is more varied and also like if you take the average New Yorker cartoon enthusiast it's like a weird upper west side person <laughs> who's 76 and <laughs> and and is doesn't have great boundaries I've noticed mm -hmm. um so it's a different um yeah, so I'm like, um, I feel like I like drawing bigger is kind of like projecting my voice to the back of the room, mm -hmm. it feels like. So I do have to gear myself up to work in that format. I don't really gear myself up to work in this format. It comes from who I am. And as I change and stop being a woman in her earlier 30s who's, who's dating, like, I guess my Instagram will change and maybe it won't be Instagram anymore. But I can't, I can't see it being remunerative enough that I have to fake it. Mm. I will fake the New Yorker until they force me to stop. Yeah, totally. I gosh, I feel so lucky to be there, and and there's something wonderful about stretching oneself. And I stretch myself also for graphic novels, and that's even harder than the New Yorker because a graphic novel can be so many things, and no one's necessarily trying to pay me to do it. Mm -hmm. So, I yeah, you have to kind of reinvent yourself for each graphic novel, in my experience. Right. New yeah. Yorker, you kind of make a persona and stick to it, and maybe it will evolve over time. And it's still, it's a difficult persona to enter. You're really acting, but at least it's you know who it is. It's so surprising to me to hear you say that it, it's um, that there's any sort of uh, I, I don't I want to choose my words carefully, but there's there's a contrivance to to submitting to the New Yorker or, or something where you're 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 posturing as a New Yorker cartoonist. Like, what will my uh, uh, body of work look like in retrospect and the yeah. bound volume next to the Saul Steinberg and the you know whatever else? Is that something you think about when you're when you're contributing? <laughs> No, but I think I thought we started at the same time and 
I don't know if you were thinking this, but I was thinking very much like how will I get in the door? How will I pretend to be something, somewhat, someone who would be allowed in? Mm-hmm. And I figured it out. It it was slow. Um, but I figured it out and I think I've gradually drifted a little bit from that to myself, but I'm still somewhere on the continuum between that and me. Not that, like, I don't want to just be me. Like, that's a very narrow thing to yeah, be. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like this New York, like making drawings is to me, I'm not a good actor, but um, it feels akin to acting in a certain way. Yeah, I, I find that drawing cartoons for the New Yorker is actually kind of a kind of a good escape from the the, the inside of your own brain in a weird way. I know I have a lot of competition <laughs> over here. This is a very very good boy or girl. I don't know. Boy, boy yes, yeah. nailed it. Um, just the uh, what I mean is that um, like. Be- because you're putting the gag first at the New Yorker, it seems like you, there there is more license and more expectation to kind of have nothing profound to say at all. And that can be really liberating, but also feels like you're doing something a little bit unnatural. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, we're kind of, who invent? Who invented, like, the New Yorker persona? I should have read more memoirs by Harold Ross and stuff. You literally used as Tilly the, the, the avatar for the New Yorker no, or the voice of the... The voice of the New Yorker, who's, yeah. who's like, a flaneur. He's, I think he's Jewish, but he pretends not to be Jewish. Yeah. Like, he, he, he has nothing really pressing to do. He's a man of... He's he's a man of independent means. He's not rich, but he doesn't have to toil. He wanders the street and is gently amused by things. And of course, he's a man. Because if he weren't a man, he would be f- or a white man. If he weren't a, I'm so sorry. <laughs> if he weren't a white, I have a. It wasn't me. It's just guilt. <laughs> it's just the guilt. Um, I fell and smashed my phone um, yesterday and haven't learned how to turn the ringer off on the mm. new phone yet. So I have a good excuse. Anyway, yeah, he's a white man of moderate means, independent means. He is able to be amused. His voice is the universal voice. He has nothing super specific to say. He has no real anger to voice. You'd think he's repressing something. He's Jewish, right? He's repressing some (laughs) real pain, Uh but he's repressing it better than I can repress my pain. And do you you, you feel like... that voice flowing through your work or like, or I'm thinking specifically when I, when I draw for the New Yorker, I I'm so diligent about not, not trying to aim for a target about uh, trying to come up with an idea that is an extension of my own sense of humor and not worrying about whether it fits in with the pages, but I'm getting the sense that with the pages of the New Yorker, but, but I'm getting the sense that maybe, maybe you're, you're continually, cognizant of the fact that this has to blend in with the New Yorker's uh, uh, voice. I think I had farther to stretch than you. So I think you are like, sorry, (laughs) it's a nice thing. It's a good thing. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You've got a mustache. (laughs) Like, (laughs) it was, um, and if I did, I would be complaining. But it, like for you, like let's say the a new like that man who I described, who's the voice of the New Yorker, is a one, and let's say I'm a fifteen, and let's say you're a seven, and let's say most New Yorker cartoonists are a two. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So I think a seven 
a seven doesn't have to change himself completely. I got to say, when, a 15 I, does. when I see a cartoon like this one, I, th I think you that might be a one. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, yes, this yes. is two guys standing on the same side of a ping pong table, and it's labeled Pong Pong. Can you guess why I made that cartoon? Because of Bob. Yes. Yeah, of course. Okay, so that wasn't from the heart. I'm not, I do love ping pong. Oh, you made it, like, for Bob. I made it for Bob. Yeah, that's I made different. it when yeah. he wasn't buying my cartoons. I know he loves ping pong cartoons. <laughs> this is Bob Mankoff, the, the editor emeritus uh, of the cartoons at the New Yorker. And he's nuts for, I once saw him play, <laughs> play ping, bong, ping pong. And instead of, first of all, he had two paddles in his hands. Pong pong. Pong pong, yeah. exactly, yeah. And then he put them down and started playing with two iPad minis. Oh come on! So he's like the ultimate vision Plunking of this. Exactly, it's like something. I love the guy, but I, I'm saying there there is something that is very like bubbled up of like, aren't these gadgets great? I can, I'm gonna live forever, like you know. He has, a, he, has, he has a machine in his house that plays ping pong with him, right? Did I, I imagine that? I think that sounds like a dream. <laughs> Uh, I was at his house once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, you were there. I was there. That's true. <laughs> and, <sighs> and the Tin Man was there. Yeah. And the Scarecrow was there. Uh, <laughs> a former uh, uh, assistant editor, a cartoon editor, was there to provide music, and he just sat in the corner playing. This is Mark? Mark. Yeah. Played keyboard the whole time. I don't remember that. It was really <laughs> nuts. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the way that drawing informs your ideology and vice versa. Do you feel like you discovered yourself over the course of, of doing this, this type of drawing for years and years? Yeah, well, I started really late. I started doing these drawings at like 28, mm -hmm. I think. So I always knew that I've drawn. I've always like been a natural drawer, and I know that because I couldn't talk as a kid because I was super shy but I knew I could talk I just like I could only talk to a very select few people and I would look at the grounds and I would talk like this and no one could hear I knew I was talking no one could hear me um, but I could draw and then but very quickly the self-consciousness started keeping up with the drawing so as I got a little better at drawing I got a little more self-conscious and finally in my teen years the self-consciousness just completely swallowed the drawing Luckily, I also learned how to talk better in my teen years. It was not a great time, but um, I had to like rediscover. <laughs> Find out. Again, there's like just <laughs> a dog here, and it's amazing. <laughs> I had to rediscover um, how to draw naturally, and I had to. I th I think I did that by discovering my anger and having this feminist awakening and be realizing that people who dated me weren't doing me a huge favor even if they treated me really badly and it, it just like all it all came out somehow at 28 and it really had to do with being published like this is why overshare this is why I'm not a Marxist I think getting paid for my work did a lot for me and I think there is some metaphor there for um, capitalism being a bit better for women than other modes, not that it's great, white women, I don't know, it's, I don't, I don't know, <laughs> but I, you can convince me to be a Marxist if you try, <laughs> it, but making money was really good for me, and it was like the opposite, I had an eating disorder when I was younger, I've spent a lot of time trying to disappear, and um, 
and 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 I don't feel like that anymore and it has a lot to do with being able to earn a living doing what I do and and it's great yes yeah, so, yeah yeah uh you you seem very uh secure in uh, financially yes yeah. you're doing great I am you seem yeah. very secure in talking to haters on Instagram you, it seems like you you're very grounded in your <laughs> beliefs and your unwillingness to to put up with any guff thank you I'm actually, if I really secure, I wouldn't believe the haters, but I feel like I have to like tell them why they're wrong, otherwise they're right. Hmm. But I'm getting there. Yeah. I, were you? Could you ever have imagined that so much of your art practice would involve communicating with your audience? No. Yeah, that was a surprise. Yeah. I in high school I was an intellectual. In high school and college I was like planning to be an intellectual and be obscure and be like like a literary magazine kind of person and I'm not and it's great and I'm <laughs> talking to weirdos on the internet and I love it. Yeah, yeah. Do but does it form a, a sort of feedback loop for your work? I just so much of this is processing like sexism yeah. and yeah. all sorts yeah. of like yeah. hater yeah. hater vibes yeah. and now you can just like turn your phone on and get as much of it as you want. I know. Also, go out of my apartment in New York and get as much. Yeah, as I fair want. enough. Yeah, I yeah I think I am a very uncomfortable. I'm a natural. Like when I talk about being neurologically weird, I think a lot of things make me really uncomfortable. And I think if I didn't push back against the things that make me uncomfortable, I would just be not be able to function very well. And I'd want someone to like bring me food and make money for me and stuff. And um, so I'm like used to being terrified and kind of like forcing myself to be okay with the thing that terrifies me, be it a person who walks like two inches too close to <laughs> me on the street or be it, um, what else am I scared of? I don't know. Like someone who talks to me or, um, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I, I, I had to learn how to make eye contact. Like, that scared me so much, the eye. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I, I, I'm one of those people who seeks out um, badness in the world just because it's hard for me to to tell the difference between t between something that's, re that's not actually bad, that just seems bad to me, like someone who means well walking a little too close to me, or something that's actually bad, like... Um, a troll or like a person on the street in the city who's prepared to hit me. Like, I think I've had to learn I, a lot of the, I'm rambling, but a lot of the Instagram has to do with my learning that the people who try to hit me on the head are actually bad. And if I think something is bad, either it's a bad person or it's a person doing something, a good person doing something that's a tiny bit bad and I'm allowed to talk about it and not ignore it. And I think that's what it means to not shut up and not like turn yourself into a into nothing. Yeah, that's an incredibly positive outlook on like the value of comments sections. That it allows you it allows you to see <laughs> sh shades of gray of like dickishness, kind yeah. of. That it's not that it isn't so black and white. I don't know what this says about me, but I don't think any of my commenters are. I think like very 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 few of them are actually trolls. I think mm -hmm. they're all like good people, and most of them are well-meaning people. And I'm like letting myself be flustered by a well-meaning person when 
all my life as a nice girl, I've been taught not like to ignore if something makes me uncomfortable, ignore it, make it all right, pretend it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm still kind of PTSD about that and still like teaching myself that it's okay to talk back. And yeah. I'm right. overdoing it, but, and I hope I stop, but if I don't, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe we should turn it over to some questions. Sounds great. Okay. Raise hands if you want. Kathy. Um, I, when I decided that I might be, I don't use this term anymore, but I thought I was mildly autistic for a while and I was reading a lot of books about mild autism and autism and um, there was a great explanation in one of them for why it's hard um, for some people to make eye contact and the explanation was that a face and um, a voice are redundant and you don't want them both at the same time and that felt very true to me in terms of eye contact it also felt very true in terms of comics where I've always been really uncomfortable drawing like the many panel comics and I think it's because I don't want to draw like there's just too much information in them it's not necessary it's it's meaningless labor for the comics artist, it's meaningless information for the reader, the words, the whole body, all the details. And when I read that, I had this realization that I wanted to pare things down as much as possible. I made this rule for myself that uh, words and pictures are often redundant, also that facial expression and body language are often redundant. I don't always stick to it, but like, I, I, I try not to tell myself that I need to fill in everything just for the sake of making a page look good. Thanks. <laughs> Kathy. I, it depends what I'm drawing. Like if I've learned how to draw something, for, for Instagram I usually just draw it once unless it's a hard thing to draw, like a car. Um, and then I use slightly translucent paper so I lay a sheet on top of the old sheet and like I just get the outline and that gives me enough confidence to fill in the details. With the New Yorker, I do lots and lots of versions and I, and I do that kind of tracing method. And when it's something really hard, like a sheet of comics, I use a light box and trace exactly minus the details I'm going to change. Um, but also with the New Yorker, like if, I, if I'm doing a cartoon about like a cash register, like the first five times I'll draw a cash register, I have to Google it and redraw it several times, but like Maybe the sixth time I'm I'm good at drawing a cash register and I don't have to do that anymore and I could just wing it. Thank you. <laughs> More questions? It changes depending on what I'm, what I have going on. I'm kind of a workaholic, so um, I always have something going on, whether I technically do or not. I I I just decide I do. Um, so usually, what I have going on is a graphic novel I'm working on, and technically, I work eight hours a day on that or so. But really, I do a lot of freelance, and whatever comes in, I put first because I'm. 
I, I don't know, I'm a fight or flight person and I always give precedence to the more urgent thing, even if it's like a nudge from a stranger as opposed to like my grandmother needing help walking upstairs, like the nudge from the stranger is much more important, hmm. which is a personality flaw, but also makes me real, a really good freelance worker and a good Instagrammer as well. I always have like several things going on. Right now, this is the first time I've had like a lot of public things going on. Uh, I'm traveling a lot, I'm doing book talks, I'm doing a very weird other thing. <laughs> it's kind of corporate also at the same time, so I'm doing a ghost tour and also a book tour at the same time. Um, um, I'm teaching people how to use a, a computerized moleskin pen at Soho houses across the country. <laughs> 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 and, um, um, and I'm teaching a class, and so I'm doing a lot of like speaking and nurturing and traveling and hanging out with friends in different cities, and I don't think I could have done this last year. I think for me, work was a way to calm myself and keep, I think I'm a workaholic because I have a lot of social anxiety and I needed to stay away from people, and I think maybe that's going away a little bit, and... I, I hope I stay a workaholic because it's like what I live, working is what I live for. Um, I'm also, I don't know, like I'm experimenting with writing a screenplay. All this stuff is offered to me, has been offered to me and I couldn't say no to any of it and suddenly I'm not drawing a lot anymore and that's sad. But weirdly, New York, I, I've always had a lot of trouble balancing the light New Yorker cartoons with the heavy somber graphic novel making, and I always put the graphic novels first, but I found that the graphic novel has evaporated a bit, and the New Yorkers are like what, cartoons are what grounds me during the busy time, and that's interesting. I think, they're, like, maybe they're the real, like, where I process meaning more than in a longer form thing. Mm -hmm. I think... It's different. I think a graphic novel makes me happy because it's like knitting. It's just like something to do so that I could keep the world at bay. Um, but I don't think I really find mean. I don't find meaning quickly in graphic novel. It comes slowly, and I'm not a slow person. I'm a quick person, and I don't do slow very well, and I don't do narrative very well. And it's very rewarding to learn slowly how to do that. But like, I find much more. Um, fulfillment in in anything quick that I could finish in in 10 minutes instead like if I could finish uh 10 things each in 10 minutes rather than one thing in five years um yeah this is Kathy who makes Kathy <laughs> Sorry. I, I, just, really I also just realized I was pointing yeah. to a totally different person than you were pointing to. So oh, I'm going to let you do I wasn't do pointing at anyone. You point. I was Let's pointing point at, at each other. At Kathy. Was that weird? Sorry. I'm, I'm really Whose touched that you Whose question would you like to take next? Can you do that? Yeah, for sure. I I'll pointed at you. I just, I was going like a full, go on, sorry.
Yeah, it did switch it. I think I hadn't been, I think I felt like an intellectual because I wanted to make stuff. And in high school and college, one is rewarded for reading more and more like old mastery kind of stuff as opposed to whatever one likes. I, I'd been, I'd loved comics when I was 15 and it kind of got like, like, taken out of me I, I tried to I went to a portfolio day at an art school and they wouldn't even look at my work because I like comics and I was like oh I should be like an old master Obvi I for I didn't realize and I trusted them and I stopped reading comics but um but that kind of went away after college and I was left adrift and I didn't like I didn't find joy anymore in in that kind of stuff although I still love the ones that I that got in Nabokov and Kafka and Proust but like I don't get Walter Benjamin like I'm not like I've, I'm not hungry for all for for so much of it and I think it's harder to to like like drink the Kool-Aid if you're kind of an outsider and I think most of us are and I am as a woman as a weirdo um I just dis I just distrust the pretentious um, pinnacle and some of it's good like all well, like all things some of it's good some of it's hello some of it's bad um, <laughs> a pug <laughs> but I, I it started I started reading it an advice ironically I started reading an advice column in order to apply for a grant in order to not work after college and the grant was a, a Jewish um, artist grant called the Six Points Fellowship that I don't think exists anymore, but was amazing. And I wanted to write a graphic novel based on this Yiddish advice column called A Bintel Brief, which was like so like squarely lower, lowbrow and so important and so brilliant and so meaningful. And um, that's what forced me to read something like that and in reading it I realized that I loved it and I love I think I just love emotion um, in writing rather than pretentiousness and sometimes they coincide but sometimes they don't um, sure yes like dogs I like running I run every day um, I'm pl I have a few meetings tomorrow, so I'm planning to wear this over my running clothes and like Superman it. <laughs> I can run with a backpack, luckily. Um, I'm just thinking. I like the ocean a lot. I like trains, but not in a nerdy way, if you can imagine that. I like riding on them um, and looking out the window more so than the fender or whatever the nerds like. Um, and like the choo-choo, <laughs> I don't <laughs> care if it goes choo-choo. <laughs> that's kids, that's not nerds. Uh, speaking of kids, I like them fine. Um, I like cats, but do I don't know cats so well. I love dogs. I like, um, I really like people, but in a, um, I like parties. <laughs> But um, I like public speaking. But these are all, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think I'm a thrill seeker. I like flying in airplanes. I like most modes. Of, I don't like driving, but I like most modes of public transportation. I'm a, city, I'm a New York person.
It's it's so weird. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't really believe that one says something. I don't really believe in, pers- I think this might have something to do with being a cartoonist. Like, I think all people are a series of different, cha- like, very changing snapshots rather than a whole. And, like, my current snapshot has, like, so little to do with last year's snapshot and what I said last year. And I think because I believe that I feel very little guilt about the things I did in last year's snapshot, I would be really sad to get canceled. I, it could totally happen. It could obviously happen, and that'll be a drag. Like, there's so many people I already feel I owe apologies to. I just, it's so, I have a conscience. I hate feeling that um, that nagging guilt, and I don't know. Um, but I, But besides feeling bad that I've hurt someone, I don't feel bad for having made bad art. Like, I, that's fine and to be expected. Can you choose? You want me to choose? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I know. I don't know. I think the biggest, to me, the biggest source of helpless feeling now is feeling that humans are destroying the earth for ourselves and for everyone else. And, um, like, I can't believe it. I grew up thinking that, there one, there was no sexism. Two, there was, there was no... Um, that America was great and we were the, so lucky to get to live in America. And three, that, I'm sorry, Jew, like I was so lucky to be Jewish. We're the, like obviously the luckiest people. And four, humans are very different from animals and like, like just feeling like the center of the universe and so lucky um, to feeling like in, in some cases... Um, the one who's transgressed upon and in other cases that there is transgression and feeling helpless, transgression, um, like keep uh, forgetting the word, like being hurt and and feeling that uh, that people are being hurt and there is nothing I can do about it and, and also feeling like part of this like species that's amazing but completely out of control and that the world is ending and like, it's been very freeing for me to answer your question. <laughs> because it's like, um, I don't, like, I, I'm not going to make a master, you, this evil species is going to make a masterpiece? Come on. I'll just make what I make. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes.
I don't feel guilty that I wasn't more feminist earlier. Um, I feel bad that I, I think it would have been a lot better for me if I had had anger instead of like self-hatred and embarrassment. Um, on the other hand, I think I have a window into what it's like to feel like a real outsider. I think you can't really feel like part of a movement if you feel like one, like the only one of what you are. And I felt like that. And I think a lot of people do feel like that, like on the very gross end of it, Voldemort, Snape, and incels feel that way. And on the good end of it, like, like someone with a disability can go, will go through life feeling that way and like no one will think to wonder that, that this person feels completely unlovable, which is how, like for whatever reason I felt and I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, so I think if I'd had the, the confidence and the anger earlier, I wouldn't understand what that feels like. I'm so glad I don't feel that anymore, but um, I feel glad that I know what it is. Yeah. I, I wanted to be a poet when I was younger. I started reading po Like, I was always a drawer and a maker and never, not a moody person, and I got moody in my teens. And in my teens, I, I like, discovered poetry. Like, it was this lit-up thing on a shelf. And and it, it had all this hidden meaning for me, and I started writing it. And um, part of why I went to Cooper Union in New York is that it was next to NYU where my favorite poet at the time, Mark Rudman, taught and I, he let me audit his classes and be his assistant and I w was so ready to become a poet. I just like didn't like any poets I met and I didn't like, no, no offense to anyone here, I met very turtlenecky poets and I doubt any of you like my, any of them like my work so nothing personal. Yeah, so it was just like, a, it felt like a very rich Upper East side -y world of like people um, who were either rich or not rich, but just trying really hard to get the, like the Hamptons -y people to like them. Um, and like very buttoned up. And I think I loved poetry because it was so free and the, the world of poets didn't feel free. And I still feel like, I feel it. I loved Mark Strand when I was young and I've heard him put down as a poet of clip art. And I like to think of myself as a poet of clip art. Like he just, you just take the moon and you put it next to the dog and you put it next to the beach and there's a poem. Like, I love it, it's so visual. Maybe <laughs> one more question. I don't wanna make you all stand so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Came to you all at once and seemed like a tidal wave, or was it 
Um, no, it's all been in there, and I'm like putting it into words as kind of an exorcism, I think. And then, and then it's not. I think every time I make a drawing, a little bit of it is gone, and I don't have to say it anymore. I, I like really don't remember any of the drawings I post on Instagram, and there's something to that. Did did we not do enough time, or is this like I don't want to bore people? Are you guys bored? What do you want to do? Thank you guys so much for coming. <laughs> if I could get y'all to fold up your chairs and lean them on this side. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.